following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. They'll know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. Welcome to that tip-top terrific and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane, the Mid-Modcast. And here are your Mid-Modcasters, Craig, Paula, and Dave. Welcome to the Mid-Modcast, where all your mid-century dreams come true one by one. I'm Craig. Who are you people? I'm Paula. I'm Dave. Dave's, Dave's half asleep. I think there right he now. is. <laughs> <laughs> we have been having technical difficulties extraordinaire. So uh, this will be a brave, brave episode, I think. Yes. We are excited to be talking about one of our most favoritest film directors ever. But we're going to get into that in a minute. Paul, if people wanted to talk or talk to us on the Facebook or on the phone or <laughs> any other way, including email, what would they do? Where would yeah, they go? Yeah, please talk to us uh, at, on Facebook, The Mid-Modcast. Um, Twitter, The Mid-Modcast. You can go to Instagram at The Mid-Modcast. And we even have a website, which is... Midmodcast.com. Yes, midmodcast.com or email us at... Midmodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, Midmodcast. No, the. Or call us, 216 309 2204. That's right. That's the comment line. You can call and leave us a message. A memory. A memory of your mid-century <laughs> life. Oh, yeah. Or imagined life in the mid-century. You yes. could even have an imagined life. That would be so Hey, great. think about it. John Hamm played the part of Don Draper uh, in Mad Men. I, I don't know. He's He's a bit younger than we are. I don't know that he actually would have any mid-century modern dreams he's from he, st louis though so yeah that's true he's, right I, yeah. I think he's only sl- slightly younger than we are so yeah i thought he's, he's about maybe 10 years younger early I 50s i don't know oh, really yeah. he's kind of in our generation I, yeah maybe mid mid 40s early 50s i've lost track of time i don't know hey john ham call the mid modcast and uh <laughs> yeah as a matter of fact why don't you just join us on the mid modcast <laughs> we'll talk about Mad jo- don draper could jo- oh wait that's <laughs> yeah, fiction yeah, don draper on that would oh, be great. That'd be great. Oh, I don't know. So anyway, we are talking films today and films from one of our favorites, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, the master of suspense. I'm going to just jump right in here with both feet here. Sir Alfred Joseph Hitchcock. That's right. Yes, that's right. Born August 13th, 1899. Wow. He was, uh, Dang. English film director, producer, screenwriter. He did it all. He really did. And especially in the early days, uh, he became one of the most influential and really studied filmmakers of all time to date. And, uh, you know, he started back before we had the talkie films back in the days of silent film. He was very interested. He was a, a decent artist. And so he started out by making those cards 
that were the dialogue that you would see in the silent movies. And so, oh. so that was kind of his his gig. But uh, he studied every aspect of filmmaking while he was doing this as a very young man. And uh, in no time flat, he started directing his own films. He directed over 50 feature films in a career spanning six decades. Wow. And uh, he became famous in his own right, mostly because of the television program that he did a little later in life, but also because he'd have these little cameo roles in most of his films and, uh, of course, the television and all that. One of the most amazing cameos is the Lifeboat movie that he made. And, uh, you know, how do you fit yourself in in a cameo when the whole film is basically revolving around a lifeboat out in the middle of the sea? Alfred Hitchcock was a very large man. He was tipping over 300 pounds and he had gone on a serious diet and lost 100 pounds and he had before and after shots. So one of the characters in the film has a newspaper and there's an ad for this diet uh, pill program. And uh, before and after, and I lost 100 pounds taking Reduxo or whatever it's called, something like that. And uh, the funny thing is, after the film was released, Alfred Hitchcock got a whole bunch of mails, uh, letters from people saying, where do I get my hands on that Reduxo stuff or Reduxo or whatever it is? Uh, So anyway, uh, he'd always have these little cameos, and I think that was probably the most creative of, of all of them. He shows up in pictures here and there, photographs yes. and that sort of thing. But most of the time, he, there's a little walk by that he does of some sort. I can think of two. Yeah. Uh, in North by Northwest, um, I believe uh, he tries to get on a bus before it pulls away, but the door shut and he's yeah. left standing on the sidewalk. I think that's from North North by Northwest, pardon me. And then the other one is um, in the birds when Tippy Hedren is walking into the pets pet store. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock is walking out, and I think I read somewhere that the dogs he's walking out of the pet store are his actual his own actual dogs. Oh, that dogs. Sounds, yeah. sounds about right. It sounds like something <laughs> like he do. Yes, his films garnered. 46 Oscar nominations and six wins, but he never won for Best Director, which is really, really tragic. I mean, he said he was always a bridesmaid, never the bride. Uh, He was born in, uh, I can't even pronounce it, Leightonstone, Leightonstone, London. And uh, as I said, he entered the film industry in 1919. He was only 19 years old. Uh, His first successful film was The Lodger, a story of the London fog. He helped shape the thriller genre with this film, but it was originally panned by the critics. Was it a talkie or was it a silent this was, movie? This was a silent film, if ah, I'm not mistaken. Okay. 1927, I think this was a silent film. Mm-hmm. and But it has a lot of the elements of Alfred Hitchcock in it. The critics panned the previews, uh, the, the early viewings of it, before it was released to the public, and it ended up on a shelf. Two months later, the studio said, hey, you know what? We invested some money in this. Let's see if we can at least break even. They released it. And after it was released, it received great acclaim and was heralded as the greatest British movie ever at that what? time. Oh, wow. Of course, the <laughs> film industry was pretty young at that time. So I don't know that there were so many. But still, yeah. uh, it made him. 1929, his film Blackmail 
uh, was the first British talkie movie. The first British movie was sound. Uh, he he continued on 1930s. He had the 39 Steps in 1935, The Lady Vanishes in 1938. And they're still ranked among some of the greatest British films in history. 1939, he had broken through beyond just England and had caught the eye of Hollywood. Producer David Selznick persuaded him to move to Hollywood. Gone with the wind. And after that, there was a big string of successful films that followed him. Rebecca, Foreign Correspondent, Suspicion, 1941, Shadow of a Doubt, 1943, Notorious, 1946. And uh, he had done quite a bit of work also for the war effort. 1945, he ended up kind of doing a documentary on the concentration camps. And that was also, it received a little bit of his own twist to it and everything. But if I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. I would love to see what he did with it. I think I'd also be horrified to see it because of the concentration <laughs> camps. But I would be very curious to see what he had done with that. Rebecca won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Of course, Hitchcock was nominated as Best Director, but he didn't win it. Uh, he was also nominated for Lifeboat in 1944. And Spellbound, 1945, but he never won that elusive Best Director Academy Award that he always wanted. Of course, the style is now known as the Hitchcockian style. Uh, and it's it has a very interesting use of camera movement to mimic a person's gaze, thereby turning viewers into voyeurs. Which oh. is interesting when you think about his films. There is a certain... Sense of, am I supposed to be seeing this? Like Psycho, the shower scene is, I don't know. Rear Window is all about voyeurism. Oh, right. Oh, definitely. (laughs) And uh, the way that he manages to frame shots, he he understands how to build anxiety in people. And uh, boy, did he do that because he had people on the edge of their seats. After a brief lull of commercial success, came Strangers on a Train. 1951, Dial for Murder, 1954. 1960, Hitchcock had directed four films, often ranked among the greatest of all, or by 1960, rather, I'm sorry, of all times. Rear Window, 1954. Vertigo, 1958, which I kind of think is a bit of a snoozer. Um, <laughs> North by Northwest, 1959, and Psycho, 1960. Rear Window and Psycho garnered him Best Director nominations, and of course, he didn't win. In 2012, Vertigo replaced Orson Welles' Citizen Kane as the British Film Institute's greatest film ever made Uh. uh, in a worldwide poll of hundreds of film critics. By 2018, eight of his films had been selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry, including... His personal favorite, which was Shadow of a Doubt, 1943, he received the BAFTA Fellowship, 1971, AFI Life Achievement Award in 1979. He was knighted in December of that year. Four months later, he died. He grew up as a shy, fat kid, and uh, he was kind of an outcast in a lot of ways, kind of a mama's boy. His father was a strict disciplinarian. Uh, He's basically half English, half Irish, and uh, his father was very strict. At the age of five, his father had him thrown in jail. I read that. (laughs) He showed up. Apparently, his father had lined this up with the the cops, 
And he showed up at the jail with a note that basically said, I've been a naughty boy or something like that. And the cops threw him in jail. Just for a few minutes. For like, yeah, five, ten minutes. And ever since the rest of his life, he had a fear of cops and a a fear of confinement also. He had a lot of weird phobias. I think one of my favorite phobias that he had was a fear of eggs. (laughs) I did read that. He thought that eggs were unnatural. They they're round. They don't have any holes. And and that yolk is yellow. (laughs) He said red, you know, blood is is natural. But that yellow yolk, that's not natural. That's just wrong. You know, he he feared eggs. Uh, (laughs) He was no. Do we know the do we know the term for a fear of eggs? Um, There is one. Ovum phobia. I would. (laughs) Oh, that sounds good. Good job. I don't know. Uh, he was known also for his write down cruel practical jokes, jokes on this set. Uh, he, he'd do things like have someone, uh, he'd sneak in, uh, X lax into their food and then he'd have them handcuffed to a bar or something. And yeah, of course, you know, life would, wow. cruel. life would, uh, go forward <laughs> with or without your consent. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, he, he would do a lot of jokes that were really kind of cruel. And I kind of think psychologically it probably goes back to being that fat kid who was probably tortured on the playground and mocked and made fun of uh, even by his own father to some extent. So he has this kind of bent psyche a little bit within him, which comes out in his movies in a big way. Definitely, Psycho comes along and he does this aggressive advertisement campaign for Psycho informing people that no one is allowed into the theater after the film starts because you have to see it from the beginning. Yeah. And he insisted that people don't tell the secrets of Psycho. And so there was kind of this whole thing around it that uh, was a, a mysterious kind of intrigue that, ooh, Psycho, what is this film all about? And apparently people screamed all the way through the people movie. People wanted and, to get there and see it. Uh, yeah, so it was quite a um, a sensation, Psycho. And uh, Hitchcock did some of his finest work on that film. From 1955 to 1965, Alfred Hitchcock was the host of the television series, series Alfred Hitchcock Prevent, Presents, Why Can't I Speak?, <laughs> Uh, he has his droll delivery, this gallows humor at the beginning. And, of course, this made him a bigger celebrity. You remember growing up and watching those commercials for – Evening. Yeah. Well, but also for um, – Universal Studios tour. And he would say oh, yeah. that, right? And, and he would be on the <laughs> tram going through and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But uh, anyway, he, he became a celebrity in his own right. And because of that, he had a face as a producer, director rather, that no other directors really had. You, you'd hear about all these other famous directors, but you'd hear their name and you, you could walk right by them and never know who they were. Alfred Hitchcock was very different. And uh, he he was always very out there. Uh, he craved celebrity, and he he earned his celebrity. Of course, uh, wow. Where where do I go from there? Um, Alfred Hitchcock presents that. Uh, do, 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 yeah, do, that's kind of do. interesting. The funeral march of the marionette. Say that's Gounod. Yes, Charles Gounod. Yes. Toward the end of his life, he felt that he'd lost touch with the current generation. He'd, he'd been directing films for 50 years, 
And uh, unfortunately, he slipped in a depression, started drinking more and more, and his health got worse and worse. He died of kidney failure April 29th, 1980, at the age of 80. So for a large man, that's actually a pretty long yeah, life, especially in those true. days. So there is a little thumbnail of Alfred Hitchcock. You could go on forever on Alfred Hitchcock. There's just yeah. volumes and volumes of stuff out there. But this is just kind of a brief thumbnail. What was the first Alfred Hitchcock movie that you think that you saw that you can remember? The Birds. Yes, mine too. The Birds. The yeah. birds. Same here. Yeah, and I was I was little. It was on television. I th- I, I saw it on television. I got pretty scared. Yeah, it freaked me out. Yeah, pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you watch it, it's pretty cheesy, but, uh, you know, yes. we're much more sophisticated in the world of uh, CGI and all the other stuff that goes with special effects and all that. Yeah, it, it kind of blows my mind that he started out in silent movies. And I remember going to see Family Plot when I was, you know, preteen. And so, I mean, that, what an expansive career. It was like 1976. Yeah, when I was. Right? Was, was it? Seven, that sounds right. It was in 76? the 70s and my parents took me to see it. And I'm like, wow. I mean, how what a long career this man had. I, I don't think I had realized. Or maybe I'm older than I recognize myself to be, too. Who knows? You know, what is your favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie? What or was maybe your top one or two? I, Dave, you want to you want to. What do you really like? If it's on, if you're scrolling and it's there, you're going to stop. Well, I was, I was going to mention one of my most uh, prized possessions is a five disc Blu-ray collection of Alfred Hitchcock films. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called the essentials collection and it's from 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still available for sale though. It's still in print. Um, And it has, what I guess are considered the five most popular Alfred Hitchcock films, which are Rear Window, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho, and The Birds. Oh, um, okay. And I would probably say it's a tie between, it's a three-way tie. Craig, I know you said you think this one's a snoozer, but I think it's a three-way tie between um, Vertigo, North by Northwest, and Psycho. Okay. I really like those North, three. North yeah. by Northwest is at the top of my list. I think that yeah, uh, I'd say North by Northwest and Psycho would probably be. Well, <laughs> it's hard. Your window. I mean, it, it, we we rewatched Psycho just recently, and like we forgot a I mean, lot. Jimmy about Stewart it. did a lot of great acting. And, oh, in, oh yeah, yeah. Um, in what? In in the Rear Window. No, in Hitchcock movies in, in general. I mean, he, he. Yes, true. He was in a few of them, and he he was excellent. My I favorite, like I, when I was really into the Alfred Hitchcock, my phase, and then I kind of hadn't really watched them in a while. I really, my favorite was Strangers on a Train. I loved oh, yeah. that movie. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Yes. So what are you talking about here, Paula? You, you um, picked out a movie? homework because we we knew we were going to do alfred hitchcock this week and um so we've been binging watched, hitchcock yeah we binged week. a little and, it's, <laughs> and you know we live in cleveland and it kind of blizzard about a week ago and yeah, we got you guys got piles oh my goodness we got piles of snow so i got onto youtube tv and and looked at the library of uh, turner classic movies so i watched some alfred hitchcock movies that i've never seen before 
I watched Marnie, which was a trip. I don't know if I recommend it, but I do recommend it. If if I talk about the plot, it just sounds strange, but it was pretty interesting. It was just the way um, Hitchcock developed the characters and the shots and the music. I was completely engrossed, even though the story, if I were to tell you the story about this guy who marries this woman who's completely broken, she's a thief, she's frigid she's just girls got issues and she steals money thousands of dollars from him (laughs) thousands from him and he decides to fall in love with her and get married to her that's what a most men do when you you steal you'd be surprised how many yeah tippy i think they would (laughs) fall in love with tippy hendren because she is pretty hot in this movie too and paula for our our listeners who don't know marnie you you must mention who the uh, oh of course marries her Yes, the good our go back to the James Bond episode. We got Sean Connery. <laughs> yes. But for some reason he just didn't appeal to me in this movie. Probably because mm. well, I don't know. Because yeah. he likes Marnie. But right. <laughs> it was still it was still very compelling considering the storyline is just so so weak. And I, I we just watched a little blurb about him and he said, I don't care about the story and the plot. You know, I I'm here just to build the suspense. So Anyway, it was. Oh, you mean Alfred Hitchcock? Alfred Hitchcock. I'm sorry, Alfred Hitchcock said that. So I watched that, and I also we we rewatched Psycho, which we hadn't seen in years, and we also went down to the basement into our little projected movie theater, and we watched The Man Who Knew Too Much, and I'd never seen that one before, which is surprising because that it was a very good film. It was long. It was you know I. Wow, I had to carve out some time to see that, but it was very impressive. And so I decided to write a little bit about my experiences and the general starring story about Doris Day, the man who knew too much, yes. starring Doris Day and Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart is just great in this, just like he is in all the Alfred Hitchcock movies. And it was released in 1956, and it was actually a remake of. Another movie he made, a 1934 classic, The Man Who Knew Too Much. And I thought that was so unusual and interesting that he remade his own film later on in his life. But that actually wasn't that unusual because Cecil B. DeMille had done The Ten Commandments. I mean, people had done these in silence. They did them when movies were very new. And so a lot of these big epic movies that we watch... I, I don't realize are actually remakes of something er, in an earlier time. In color. In color. And this one <laughs> in Vista Vision, too. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ooh. So I was kind of thinking, wow, his 1934 classic, um, The Man Who Knew Too Much, was his first international hit movie. And, you know, why did he remake it? And pe- it was a classic. It was a hit. It um, starred Peter Lorre. So it boosted Peter Laurie's career big time. So this movie was kind of a launching point. It wasn't just a movie, but um, he just felt the movie could have been made better. So when Paramount said, hey, let's do this. This is a movie he made when he was in England. So when Paramount approached him and said, let's do an American remake, he's like, yeah. So he hired this this frequent collaborator, um, collaborator John um, Michael Hayes, to write the script. And he cast all of the actors, American actors. And, of course, I already mentioned Jimmy Stewart and Doris Day ended up being the central couple. 
it was pretty different than the original. The plot and the script were significantly di- different. John Hayes um, agreed not to watch the original movie and also not to read the original script. So basically hmm. Hitchcock told him the story, but he made him promise not to watch that movie. So I thought that was really interesting. So he gave him the general idea and then John Hayes kind so of just went to town. the basic plot line is there, but mm-hmm. it's oh, No little clips of the I'd movie. I'd like to see the original one. I, I do too. I'd, I'd be curious. Yeah, and the, the studio just felt that this was a picture that could be really well adapted to this new deck decade and like i said they put it in color and vista vision and so there's a great quote of alfred hitchcock he said let's just say the first version is the work of a talented amateur and the second version was made by a professional so i thought that was pretty good and the plot is basically dr ben mckenna jimmy stewart is on vacation with his wife um and that is played by doris day she's a little bit um her cast, the casting of Doris Day is a little bit different than his usual ingenues that he casts in mm. his movie. You know, she's kind of the all-American girl, and he did kind of fight it, you know, because he kind of wanted the Kim Novak and the, you know, the other more, I don't know how to describe, but more ingenue. Uh, yeah, blonde, cool, Tippi Hendrick, icy cool, blonde, yeah. right, icy. <laughs> um, but the, I think it was, I believe it was the studio or d- convinced him to hire Doris Day. And I, I, I'm so glad he did. She is wonderfully, she's, her acting is absolutely superb. So they go on this great Moroccan vacation after he, he's a doctor. So he had a big conference in Paris. So they decided to go to Morocco and they get this chance encounter with this stranger and they hang out with him and he's a really nice guy. And then all of a sudden, um, everything kind of changes. This guy um, is murdered in front of them killed in front of them and right before he passes away he passes uh the jimmy stewart dr mckenna he he whispers some secrets into his ears and his secrets reveal an assassination assassination plot so he hears the secret about this assassination of this ambassador and then to cover it up they kidnap the couple's son and he's abducted to keep this secret plot and suddenly this mother and father decide not to get help from the police because they know this will all be foiled if they get help from the police so they have to figure out a way on their own to get this child back and the neat thing about this film is all filmed on location so when you watch it and get it on your big TV, you see some pretty fabulous market scenes of the Moroccan marketplace. And fortunately, I completely missed Alfred Hitchcock's cameo in this one because Ooh, his yeah. back, his back is to the audience. Yeah, it's and he's always. in the bazaar and the, the oh. watching the acrobats. Um, but I didn't see it. I had to go and watch it a, a clip again to say, oh, that's his little that's his back. He's watching the acrobats. So. Um, so they uh, they just have some wonderful scenes of um, Albert. Uh, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. So originally, instead of traveling to Morocco in the original film, they were actually traveling to Switzerland. And this hmm. remake is two hours long. Like I said, it's 45 minutes longer than the, than the original. So there's a lot more to the remake. Um, 
Also, the song Que Sera Sera was introduced in this movie. Um, this is the first time that song's ever, ever been um, heard, and it was sung by Doris Day twice. It's kind of her signature song, and I think it's beautiful, but she actually was recorded that she didn't like it. She shared on an NPR program. Mm. She didn't care for the song and was surprised it made it into the to the movie um, in in her, the character she plays is a former professional singer. Yeah, so Paul, I was going to ask. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Her is her name Joe. It's been a yes, while since. Joe, I've seen Joe. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't remember if she gave up her career so she could be a wife and a mom. I think. Right. Yes, so I believe it was so. 1956. So, yes. Um, or if she was having her career concurrently with her doctor husband but i think she kind of i don't think she was giving it up i think it was sort of more on a hiatus because they were doing a lot but she was planning on yeah he he reviving it they live in indiana right and she's famous in new york and and, london and no right so there's there's one scene where they're talking about it right and uh, she says, well, you know, they need doctors in, in, New, York, in uh, yeah. New York and London. And he says, well, yeah, but I don't think that my patients could commute from Indiana. To- <laughs> yeah. So you can tell that there's a little tension, you know, yeah. in it. So, yes. Yeah, so it, the song Quesara actually rose to the charts. It ended up being number two um, an American pop charts and made it all the way to number one in, in um, UK, the pop charts of, of UK. Um, and as I said, Dave wasn't a super big fan. Um, there's a great scene um, at Royal Albert Hall in London. It's filmed at Royal Albert Hall. And the I think Dave's going to talk a little bit about uh, Herman. What was his first name, Dave? Bernard. Bernard Herman did a lot of the scores for um, – for Alfred Hitchcock films, including Psycho, the famous, and I've always enjoyed that his scores. It's very lush. His orchestration is always very big and very full, and you just, you know, just ah, it's beautiful to listen to. So he was he did the score for this movie, and he was given this opportunity to compose a new cantata. And at the film's climax, which is filmed at Royal Albert Hall, he was they. Um, Hitchcock said you can compose this new cantata. However, he found Arthur Benjamin's cantata, Storm Clouds is the name of it, in the original 1934 film, so well suited to the film he declined. Although he did expand the orchestration and inserted several repeats to make the sequence longer. Hmm. But you can see Herman conducting in the movie. He's conducting um, the at London Symphony, the London Symphony Orchestra with um, the mezzo-soprano and the big choir, but he's doing all of the conducting. And there's just so much amazing suspense during that part built around the instruments, the cymbals, the cymbals crashing because you can't hear the shot if the cymbals are that loud. I don't really believe that, but hey, let's just, I don't, Let's just go with it, because when the gun fires and the cymbals are playing, you're not going to hear it. So there is actually no dialogue in the Albert Hall orchestra sequence. So, Craig, as we were watching it last, what, two nights ago, I was noticing, I'm like, this is kind of like watching a concert. It's it's a pretty long scene. Well, it is actually 12 minutes long. That's a pretty long scene. That is really (laughs) long with no dialogue. Orchestra and some Jimmy Stewart running up and down the stairs, um, Doris Day being uh, frantic, 
but no dialogue. And I honestly don't think you could go 12 minutes Until Doris Day screams, right? She screams at the (laughs) end, right? No, she doesn't scream at the end. She screams when the cymbals are playing. Right. So I'm like, I just do not think an audience would hang for 12 minutes of an orchestra and a choir and a mezzo-soprano sequence in a movie and it still be a popular movie i'd be very surprised but there's so much tension in that scene because you see the symbols and the camera's getting closer and you're sweating and you see the camera (laughs) the camera goes in between the symbols i mean hitchcock knows how to be to do this sequence very well he's an expert at it so the only sounds that you hear are this big orchestra and then you hear the big doris day scream and originally, and yeah, go ahead. Pa- Paula, it, uh, spoiler alert, by the way, for those of you who n- have not seen uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much, isn't the assassin hiding out in like a private box? Yes. Uh-huh. So, you know, we see that right. typical scene of, you know, these sumptuous velvet drapes <laughs> and a gun yes. pokes through them. And, yes. And, Earlier in the movie, didn't they show the assassin like with the sheet music out in front of him, listening to a recording and following along with the music? The the guy, yeah, the guy who is paying the assassin basically is. Oh, okay. He's got it all laid out, and he says, "Okay, yeah, we've gone through it. I think you've got it now." Kind of thing. Yeah, he puts. I like how he on the symbol crash, right? right. And he has to memorize when the symbol crashes. I love how he takes the arm, whatever that's called, of the phonograph and he always magically places it exactly and then he goes, i've never been able to do that and it's like here's how it sounds remember oh and the words come okay here it is again so he he's prepared it's pretty magical though the magic yeah. of movies so originally there was going to be dialogue jimmy stewart had a whole page of dialogue and it was um Telling everyone they needed to stop the concert, trying to tell everyone, stop the concert, stop the concert. And then finally Hitchcock says, you're talking too much. I'm unable to enjoy the London Symphony. He complained to Stuart. Just wave your arm. He says, this is a quote. Just wave your arms a lot and run up the stairs. This was kind of normal behavior of Hitchcock, who was, quote, suspicious of the spoken word. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He he says a lot with his angles and, you know, I think that's oh, yeah. interesting. Right, yeah. So I never thought about this, but I read uh, something about that sequence that he kind of makes it like a silent movie. So that kind of makes sense since he started in silent movies and they, he just wanted the gun and the the running. I think that kind of ties in. And this, well, and I know, okay. Paulie, he was he was a major like pre-production guy. Uh-huh. So he, I think Hitchcock was well known for storyboarding out every single frame of the movies that he was making mm-hmm. just so he would know like where to set up the camera or the cameras and, you know, how to zoom in on those symbols and you know, whatever. So, yeah, it always beautifully shot. Yeah. The, yes. He, he would get through the script in so much detail that by the time that they got to shooting, he had it pretty much memorized and he wouldn't wouldn't even have a script. Oh, and he, he just knew exactly where everything was and, and how this was going to, and the way that he blocked out the scenes, there are some good videos on YouTube about Alfred Hitchcock's blocking of scenes. 
It's it's a dance. It's 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 art how he blocks out these scenes. It's really amazing. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I'm sorry. Very anyway. well thought out. It's like if there's something that he wants you to feel like loneliness, the character right. will walk to the other side of the screen and be alone. I mean, he tries to. He's a master at manipulating your emotions, making you feel certain things, um, just based on the blocking of the characters. I was just going to add, this is actually one of the five lost Hitchcock movies. There are five movies that he had the rights, he had complete control over Mm -hmm. um, their distribution. So about 30 years, these movies, we didn't want, you didn't see these movies. And those were The Man Who Knew Too Much, this movie, Rear Window, Rope, Vertigo, and The Trouble with Harry. And they were finally all emancipated in 1983 after being out of distribution for about 30 years. Wow. Oh, wow. Yes, which I did not realize. I wonder what that was all about. Um, hmm. part, I, I read that he wanted that he knew that it would get valuable with time. Oh. And he left that to his daughter. So his daughter would have this nest egg for herself. So he yeah. pulled these movies, these five movies. See, Interesting. And this goes back to what I was saying about how he was so so strategic with understanding all of this blocking. He also knew how to work people in a huge way with all the suspense and everything. But it's interesting that he would have such a long-term strategy creating this scarcity with these films. Right. And he knew that this would take care of his daughter for her life. That's, that's amazing. Yes. That's really cool. Yes. And, and like I said, the, um, I usually, when you watch old movies, often you see just sets and Universal Studios, you know, but this, we're on location. I mean, you're in Morocco. I mean, there are parts that you can tell are sets. There's part that's yeah, very there's, obviously there's a green. There's a projection in the there's back There's a projection a in the back of yeah. a green screen. But, you know, just being all over London, filmed, really filmed in, in Royal Albert Hall, that part kind of mesmerized me. That was very well done, all these locations. So I highly recommend it. Um, TCM, Turner Classic Movies, got... It's got a lot of them. Um, I also recommend the movie Hitchcock. I haven't seen that in a while, but that's about the making of Psycho, Mm -hmm. about the relationship with his wife. And I guess there's a new movie on HBO now um, called That Girl, and it's about his relationship with Tippi Hendren while they were filming The Birds. Talk about that a little bit later as well. Yeah. But um, since you brought it up, Paula, there's also. It's available on Hulu, Sling, and Voodoo. There is a movie called 78 Slash 52, which is all of these well-known filmmakers, modern-day, current-day filmmakers, dissecting the shower scene from Psycho. Yeah, and um, the description says it's an in-depth look at the screen murder that profoundly changed world cinema, the iconic shower scene in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. And the title, 78-52, comes from the fact that there are 78 setups in that scene and and 52 cuts. Wow. Wow. And it's like, like, what, a 30-second scene or something? And, I mean, it required all this pre-planning, and it's very interesting. So 78-52 is a a documentary I recommend. This is fascinating also in how how Hitchcock knew how to work people so much that he actually filmed that scene with a lot of nudity in it, knowing that the censors would say, you can't do that. And then he 
he gave them the kind of more tame version, which has more suggested nudity, which they would have panned in the first place. But after he showed them like full frontal nudity or something like that, they're like, oh, well, that's much more tasteful. We'll go with that. You know, but he knew that they'd trash that the one that ended up in the movie if he just presented that initially. And that's really what he wanted in the movie. He didn't want the other stuff. He just did it. To to kind of get what he wanted, desensitize the censors so that they. they, Uh, they, The guy was a genius. He, I mean, a twisted genius. Yes, yeah. uh, Just interesting to check all these things out, and they're all there's a a thread between them, but some of them are diverse too. So, so Dave, what is the most scary movie you saw? And Craig saw, and (laughs) I saw as a as a child. Right, right. I was going to mention the the you know we we kind of talked a little bit about this already, but, but I'm approaching it from the fact of, you know, when, when you're a kid and you experience something for the first time, it sticks with you and often really vividly. Yes. So for example, I've talked about this on past episodes. I still remember going to Disneyland for the very first time in 1971. I was like six years old. Um, I remember seeing my first release Disney animated feature in a movie theater, which was the Aristocats, by the way. Mm. Do you guys remember which was the first one for you? Mm-hmm. As I take a drink of water, it was um, <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. Oh, Sleeping. Well, no, I mean first run. That was, yeah, because Sleeping Beauty was in the 50s. Yeah, but, but that so was, was my thinking first. Of, yeah, that's oh, true. Okay, that okay. was my first Disney animated movie that I saw. Got it. Right. The, it would have the been a re-release, theater. correct. Yeah. I'm not awesome. that old. <laughs> yeah, right, no, of I, course. I can't and think so, of which one would be for me. I, oh, yeah. I'm confused. I don't remember. So when we were kids, Craig, like Jungle Book, the Aristocats, oh, yeah. they kind of came out close to each other. So maybe yeah. it was one of those. Oh, that two, Robin but, Hood but, one. Um, I love that one, too. Oh, yes, yes. Funny. Very good. Okay. We we digressed. Um, <laughs> so anyway, and I remember watching The Birds, my first Hitchcock experience on TV and it made a big impression on me. Um, I mean, come on, birds attacking people. Oh, that is scary stuff, right? Yes. So released in 1963, the birds oh. is the follow-up to the 19 to 1960s psycho. Um, oh. And we kind of already talked a little bit about this earlier, but Hitch was a big deal in the fifties and sixties. He was already famous as a brand name director. Paula kind of like, Uh, When we talked about um, holiday movies, um, Hitchcock was like Frank Capra, one of the first directors to have his name appear above the title. So like Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Um, And much like Capra, who had a certain movie style, which was referred to as Capra-esque, movies that were made in the Hitchcock style Craig mentioned earlier is they're referred to as Hitchcockian and just out of curiosity, I have one, but do you guys have a, like a late fifties, early sixties favorite Hitchcockian film that was really Hitchcock like, but not made by him. Ooh. Um, Throw hmm. mama from the train. <laughs> it's, it's not fifties or sixties. <laughs> Sorry. That's way back in the <laughs> it was 80s. high anxiety. Oh no. That's... Oh, that's all. That's seventies, but homage to Hitchcock. Homage, but I was yeah. thinking, what? do you guys know the movie uh, charade? Oh yeah. With Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. I think that movie is often referred to as the best Hitchcock film that he never made. Okay. Uh, yeah. But it was Stanley Donnan was the uh, was the director of that one. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, and again, we've already mentioned that um, he had a popular anthology series on CBS and NBC uh, talking about Hitchcock again now from 1955 to 1965, known first as Alfred Hitchcock Presents from 55 to 61, then as the Alfred Hitchcock Hour from 62 to 65. Oh, I was wondering yeah. about that, yeah, yeah. what the difference and. And Psycho, as well as The Birds, were blockbuster movies. Um, and I can't remember if it was Craig or Paula who talked about this, but he would often appear in the trailers, um, oh. build, building up, you know, interest and anticipation and excitement um, for for his upcoming films. And oh. he did this for Psycho as well as The Birds. Mm. Um for example, and Craig, you talked about this earlier, for Psycho, audience, audience members were told that no one would be admitted late to the screenings, <laughs> which even built up more suspense for the film. Yeah, he, he said, I don't care if you're the president of the United States or the Queen of England. <laughs> you don't get in. in yeah, you don't get in after yeah. the film started. <laughs> and spoiler alert, I can't imagine there's any listeners to our show that don't know Psycho, but um, I, I've read somewhere that it was actually because Janet Lee. The big star of Psycho is murdered like during the film's first half hour, 45 minutes or yeah. so. And um, Hitchcock didn't want latecomers wondering where she was. <laughs> we, we paid to see a Janet Lee movie and I know we're late, but dang it, where is she? <laughs> right. She dies so, early. Yeah. She does die very, yeah. Poor Marion. Okay. Yeah. So. Paul, you mentioned uh, earlier Bernard Herrmann. Before continuing on to the birds, I also wanted to mention the um, the, the soundtrack, the um, the music that um, Herrmann composed for these films. Um, and you can't really talk about Psycho without mentioning the edgy soundtrack. was composed by Herman, who worked with Hitchcock on seven films, starting with The Trouble with Harry in 1955 until Marnie in 1964. Films such as Vertigo, North by Northwest, and Psycho are made even more memorable uh, by their scores um, written by Bernard Herman. Um, so supposedly Alma Hitchcock, who was Hitch's wife and uh, often a film collaborator of his, uh, I read once that she didn't think that Psycho was all that scary after seeing a rough cut of the film without Herman's score included. But then when she saw it again with the music intact, she was like, oh, yeah, that that totally changes the picture. Oh, here. Yeah. She yeah, made yeah. it so scary. Yeah. And, and I wanted to mention um, uh, Herman because I'm talking about the birds and it is a film that had no score by Bernard Herrmann because Hitch thought it would be more suspenseful and scary 
to just use bird sounds. So Tippi Hedren stars in The Birds in her very first film role, having been invited by Hitchcock to be his leading lady after seeing her in a diet drink commercial. And you can tell that he was smitten with his star as he shot the film to make Melanie Daniels, Hedren's character, appear to be the most polished and sophisticated of any Hitchcock female character. Well, I'm going to say almost. I think Grace Kelly in To Catch a Thief gets the number one spot, but she was already an established actress, right? She, she was Grace Kelly. She That's, was Grace Kelly. Says it exactly. All, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So Hedren's blonde hair, you know, the cool Hitchcock blonde, uh, yes. is perfectly quaffed. She gets to wear beautifully tailored Edith Head clothes um, and even drives an amazing 1954 silver Aston Martin DB24 convertible. Yes. And for all the car enthusiasts out there, I hope I said that right, because it's DB2 slash four. I don't know how you're supposed to say it. But anyway, so interestingly, I think that if any other director had pitched this film to a studio head, <laughs> they'd probably have been laughed off the lot. Um, <laughs> um, so here's the here's here's a quick overview. One weekend, Melanie drives from San Francisco in her aforementioned um, Aston Martin. Uh, to the California coastal town of Bodega Bay to deliver lovebirds. And in the movie, they, they kind of look like small parrots. Um, she's delivering them to a guy she's just met named Mitch Brenner, played by Rod Taylor. And she gets swooped down on and injured by a seagull after delivering the birds. By the way, the birds are for Brenner's sister, Kathy, as a birthday gift. So then the rest of the film is essentially about the suspense and uncertainty and fear of when the birds will attack next, uh, attack next with a little character development thrown in for good measure. <laughs> That's <laughs> and it. By the way, Beth Fritz and I have, uh, we've actually been to Bodega Bay. It is a real California oh, coastal yeah. town. Yeah. And um, there is a restaurant in the movie called the Tides Restaurant where a lot of the action takes place. And it still exists today. It, well, yeah. it, it may be a rebuilt version, but there still is a Tides restaurant in Bodega Bay, California. Although you never know after all the coronavirus ah, closed downs in well, that's true. California. That's true. I thought you were still hanging on Tides restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> right? Hang tight. Um, we hope you're there. So I kind of see this movie nowadays. We kind of mentioned earlier that um, it's it's a bit cheeserific nowadays. Is but. It? I think it's mostly Hitchcock showing off his new star and his technical <laughs> prowess at pulling off such a feat for a 1963 film. Um, you know, so when they show these bird attacks, they, they are mostly real live birds. Um, but uh, effects genius and former animator of Iwerks, uh, he was borrowed from the Disney studios. They brought him in to do some of the more complex shots, like Craig, you mentioned the, the blue screen, the, um, the process shots mm -hmm. where they had to show the bird attacks. Um, he did a lot of work on, on those scenes. Um, so as with many horror slash suspense films, there is a scene towards the end of the film where Hedron for no good reason 
uh, goes to investigate a sound that she hears late at night at the Brenner home and ends up in a bedroom where she's attacked by birds that have gotten in through the damaged roof. The scene actually is pretty intense. Um, so that's not a cheesy scene in the movie. And it was supposedly shot over a week's time and put Hedron in the hospital for exhaustion afterwards. Oh, she, I heard that and she had gotten pecked and clawed quite a bit also. She she did. And yeah. and if you oh. watch, I mean, when you watch the film and you watch that scene, I mean, it looks like they are li- literally like biting her hand or pecking at her hand. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty freaky scene. So that's the one that sticks with me since, since I was a kid, that's the scene that when I think of the birds, that's the scene that I think of. Right. Right. Um, anyway, and, uh, just, uh, Quick bit of trivia. Uh, when Mitch finally goes upstairs to rescue her out of that situation, they shot the rescue scene after they had already done the um, the bird attack scene. Tippy Hedren was already in the hospital, so it's a body double that he's carrying Uh-oh. down the steps. You don't see her face, but yeah. She's um, in the hospital. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, um, Paula, you mentioned that, um, that movie called the girl, uh, which is all about Hitchcock and his possessive relationship with Hedron, who in the movie is played by Sienna Miller. Um, and it's about the making of the birds as well. And they, they talk about that, that bedroom attack scene. And, um, I think it's available on Hulu that, that movie, the girl. Mm. Oh, it is. Uh, anyway. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so interestingly, I don't know if you guys ever paid attention to this, but Throughout the entire film, there's never an explanation given for the bird's violent behavior. Right. Yeah. It's kind of (laughs) weird. I know that part bugged me. Yeah. So that leaves it out of mystery, doesn't it? True. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So to wrap up, while the film is amazing from a technical standpoint, as we've already mentioned, it is when viewed nowadays more campy uh, than (laughs) scary. I mean, Here's an example. It just seems comical, for example, that a beautifully coiffed and poised San Francisco woman would pilot a motorboat across a channel of water in Bodega Bay, California, to deliver lovebirds to a guy she barely knows. But there you go. <laughs> well, but, <laughs> it's a movie, huh? <laughs> but for 1963 and a young Dave Fritz watching in the early 70s, oh, it boy. must have scared the crap out of people. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, The Birds is currently available on the premium versions of Hulu, Peacock, and Sling. Okay, yeah, good, to, good know. to know. Yeah, yes. very good. Uh, now I think that's why I'm kind of afraid of birds. That I'm just kind of making that connection now. I'm not a fan. I think. Yeah, that- so there was a time when people couldn't take showers or go outside because they thought they'd be attacked by birds. <laughs> well, and then Jaws kept me out of the ocean for a while. For a while. Oh, geez. No wonder why I'm so messed up. A that explains everything. There's a Hitchcockian film to Jaws, too. Huh? There, there is that. You know, his, his relationship with Tippi Hedren, there's quite a bit of information out there about it. And he became very possessive of her and wouldn't allow her to go and do certain things. He, he'd make excuses like, uh, well, if you go to that charity event and you're gone for two days, you're going to get out of character. And then when oh, you come oh, back, right, right. and really, he was just being really possessive. And finally, he made a sexual overture toward her, and she rebuffed him. 
And yet and she made it Marnie with him, too. I don't know if that was that, before, after, or during. Not, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I, think before uh, the I think that was contractual. But after um, Marnie, she was like, nope, I'm oh, done. Okay. But yeah. he had signed her to like a seven-picture deal oh, or something. Okay. So he basically blacklisted her um, once she, like Ooh. Craig said, turned him down. Yeah. Uh, and she wasn't able to work for a long time after that. Oh. And, and she... And I've heard her in an interview say, you know, it was a tricky situation because he gave me my start. Uh So I was really thankful for him giving me my start in Hollywood. But yet he was abusive to me as well. So, yeah, it's yeah. So I would check out that movie, The Girl. It it really gets into it really well. And whose mother is Tippi Hendren? Uh, No, no, no. Tippi. Uh, she, Mel, one of them's Melanie Griffith's mom. Mel, Melanie off. Griffith is T- Tippy Hedren's mom. Yeah. Yeah. No, the other Wait, way around. Tippy Hedren is Melanie Griffith's mom. I'm sorry, mom. the other way around. I'm, yeah. <laughs> yes, sorry. and Jamie Lee Curtis is Janet Lee's daughter. Right. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Nothing. <laughs> well, we could talk for hours and hours about Alfred Hitchcock, and there's yes. just so much out there. He has become such an influential voice in film all all the way around. I mean, he's just a unique character who did unique films and was a visionary of his day. But uh, unfortunately, we're pretty much out of time. I think uh, we're coming near that hour mark, so... We're going to have to call it quits with this. 